Learn the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do anything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what, we, what, may, be, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I am amply su supplied. Now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. And my God will meet your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, um, it's, we've come to the last week of Philippians, so I've got sort of the joy of wrapping up the letter that we've been looking at. Um, I have to apologise to a couple people sitting here today who've told me that their very favourite verse um, is chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. I'm really sorry, but we've actually missed that out completely. Um, so you'll have to try and find another sermon online somewhere um, to listen to that. But the ending of Philippians is as beautiful as the rest of the letter. And in this passage, we get to see the full extent of why Paul is so grateful for the Philippian partnership that he has with this small church that he's talked about right back in chapter 1. And it's not just that the Philippians have sent money through this chap Epaphroditus, um, but it seems that they have been in the habit of doing this from the very beginning. It seems that they have loved Paul and they've looked out for him in really practical ways. And it's why this letter is so deep and so warm and so affectionate and so trusting. It seems that they were maybe the only church that supported Paul and loved him and helped him out, not just once, but again and again. But when you read this passage, so do keep it open in front of you. When you read it, it could seem that Paul is being a little bit offhand. He sort of says to them, thanks for the gift, but I'm actually fine. Thanks for the gift, um, but I actually don't need it. I actually have learned to be content in any situation. But I think there are a couple things going on here. Paul does give really deep appreciation for the gift. He tells them that he rejoices that he's fully satisfied, he's encouraged, and he prays for them to be blessed too. But it seems that he wants to remind them of something else first. So we're going to look at two things today, and we are going to look at that whole spirit of generosity, but the first thing I want us to look at today is the secret of contentment. So the secret of being content. I think most people in our world would probably give anything to know the secret of being content. Recently, a popular search engine said that within the top 
10 unanswerable questions of life were these three that people asked. What is the meaning of life? Is there a God? And what is the secret to happiness? Which I think we can also translate as contentment. What is the secret of contentment? Now back in Paul's day, the philosophers spoke of contentment as self-sufficiency. And the word translated here as content means self-sufficient. There is an emphasis on being detached from outward circumstances and finding resources within oneself. Does this sound a little bit familiar? I think if you look on our, in our bookstores today, if you look on our websites, um, the, the bookshelves are full of this sort of book, of self-help books. In the top 20 Amazon bestsellers at the moment, along with five recipe books on healthier eating, is this book. It's called The Mind Management Program to Help You Achieve Success, Confidence, and Happiness. And I don't think our philosophers think very differently to Paul's philosophers back in his day. So how do we learn the secret to be content, happy, or satisfied? Well, here are some top tips from the internet. The little guide to contentedness says, take a moment to be grateful for something. Find the little things that can give you simple joys. Find the things about yourself that you're happy with. Do the same with others in your life. Assume that you, others, and life are perfect. Some nice little thoughts. Another website asked how people find contentment, and some of the answers were exercise, being outdoors, animals, bunnies, which is funny, I had no idea John was going to put that up this morning, uh, family, being with friends, helping people. They're all good things. What makes you content? What makes me content? Is it having family and friends around? Is it possessions or money, feeling secure, feeling like you have a job that, you, um, is, that is worthwhile? For me, this is something I really have to keep an eye on. I like to think the fact that I, have, um, I like doing more or being more, I have a vision for things. Um, John often challenges me about whether I'm actually content. Um, so I do have to really watch this about myself. But Paul says that he has learned the secret to be content. The secret that us humans really long for. But it's not a closed secret, it's an open secret. It's not a secret that you learnt if you were initiated into a mystery cult, which was, was the use of the word back then. But Paul has learnt the secret of being content whether he had everything or nothing. And from someone who's sitting in a prison cell, I think it's probably worth listening to. Paul may not have been, um, he might have been a dynamo in terms of what he achieved in his life. Um, but he wasn't superhuman. He had, uh, there'd been no instant, there'd been no easy solutions for him. He hadn't been able to ignore the problems of what it was like to be a Christian in the first century. He'd had nothing to do while he'd sat in jail in Philippi, in, in Philippi and now in Rome. He'd suffered beatings, he'd suffered, suffered stonings, harassment, but he'd also had everything in the joy of seeing people come to know Christ in seeing the new churches grow, and in these wonderful friendships that he had experienced, like the church of Philippi. Paul had had 
good experiences, he'd had bad experiences. He'd had hard times and he'd had easy times. But in verse 12, he says that he's been in need, he's had plenty, well-fed or hungry. And he sort of agrees with the philosophers. He says it's not about outward circumstances where contentment is found. And the actor Jim Carrey agrees with this too. He said, he once said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they dream of so that you can see it is not the answer. However, Paul seems to disagree with the philosophers of his time and of our time because he says that contentment is not from within, within himself. His secret is not about mind management or self-sufficiency or even seeing wonderful things happen in his life. If you look at verse 13, Paul says his secret is this. I am able to do everything through him who gives me strength. Or as other translations put it, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Or Christ gives me strength to face everything. Now the translations from the message and the contemporary English version, which I've just read there, may actually help us to understand what this verse means more clearly. Um, one of my very favorite theologians who wants to remain nameless um, gave me a little bit of a Greek language tip last week. And he said um, that in the Greek translation, to do does not exist. In Greek, the passage literally says, I am able through him who gives me strength. So a better translation may be, I am able to endure all things through, who, through him who gives me strength. I, I can make it. Christ gives me strength to face everything. It's clearly not about doing, it's about enduring. It's about being able to endure circumstances and learn to be content in them. But the big question, the big secret is this, it's how. And Paul's answer is, because of the one who gives me strength, the one who makes me who I am, because of Christ. The things which happen, which bring happiness in our lives, whether it be people or exercise or bunnies, they're not necessarily wrong. And we know that they do bring contentment to some degree. But Paul says that these things shouldn't be the, full, the primary source of our contentment. His secret is strength not from outside himself, not from within himself, but his secret is this. It's the transforming friendship of God through Jesus Christ. And this is why he didn't need the Philippians' money. Although he was very grateful for it, he didn't need anything else because God had helped Paul face everything. So that was our first point. The secret of contentment is the transforming friendship of God in Jesus Christ. But secondly, the secret of generosity. So let's have a little think about the generosity of the Philippian church. Paul says that although he's learned to be content, he is truly delighted with their gift. But even more importantly, he says, God delights in your generosity. This gift, this gift sharing or koinonia indicated a close relationship between Paul and this really young church. 
And this sharing of this gift was really good for Paul, but it was really good for the young church too. For Paul, he had given his life as he worked to see the gospel grow and the churches grow. For the Philippians, they were giving financially and prayerfully. And if you look here in the passage, Paul uses language from banking terms. In verse 17, he talks about it being accredited to their account. It's like an investment. But then in verse 18, he also then goes on to use language that would have been familiar to them from the temple, um, from the language of worship. He says it's a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Another version puts it like a sweet-smelling sacrifice, roasting on the altar, filling the air with fragrance, pleasing God. God delights in it. What the Philippians have done is a sweet smell, a beautiful thing, an act of love. It's not that God particularly likes the smell or what the, the motions that people are going through, but what God loves is the people's generous hearts. And what's really important to note here is this. The Philippians weren't adding to or earning their salvation. And we've talked about that in other weeks, haven't we? The fact that what God has done for us is completely sufficient. We can't add to anything. But it means that the act of their generosity, the act of our generosity, it's a big thank you to Christ for what he's done. The faith, the hope, and love of the Philippians was finding practical expression as they assisted Paul. And in verse 19, Paul says that those who are generous like this can be certain that God will meet all their needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And as I look back over my life as a Christian, I can see those Christians who gave generously. They may never have seen the results of their generosity, the results of their work, or their commitment to others. And I've looked back recently and I've thought about the people who served and worked in the Sunday school that I grew up in, who may never know the effect of their commitment week after week to me. And I think about the woman when I was a student who week after week would meet with me and disciple me and look after me and teach me what it meant to love Christ. She may never know what happened to all those students that she nurtured. Some of our acts of generosity may be known, some may not, some may be significant, some may small. But Paul assures us that these acts are all investing in the kingdom of God. So this is the second secret. And it's the secret about generosity. It's this. God delights in our generous hearts. And he blesses us when we are generous. It's like a sweet fragrance, a pleasing aroma. And God knows the depth of our sacrifice for him. And amazingly, God uses the small acts of generosity that we give as an investment in his kingdom. So Paul achieved more in 10 years of his public ministry than most of us will ever achieve in a lifetime. But he also suffered more than most of us would ever experience. And his testimony was this. I am able to endure everything through him who gives me strength. He knew the secret of contentment, and he knew the secret of a generous life. And I think there's a connection between these two things. 
So I want us to take some time just to think about sort of the whole of Philippians and, the, and what we've heard about um, that whole joy in suffering that Paul has talked about again and again and what it means to follow Christ. So the first question for us today must be this. How far do I know the secret of contentment in Christ? To what degree am I proving that Christ is sufficient for all of my needs? And when people look at my life, do they spot this contentment in me? Do they ask questions about it? If you were at the women's breakfast yesterday, you'll recognize this verse from Proverbs 27:19. It says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Is my heart content because of the friendship I have with God through Jesus and with the Holy Spirit living and working in me? Does my life reflect what God has done in my heart? Does my life reflect the contentment of Christ? It doesn't mean that we ignore the struggles and the suffering. This letter's been written by a man in prison who's suffering daily. But he talks about joy in suffering, about friendship with Christ. And it's that friendship with Christ, walking with us through the trials and temptations, that's what brings us true happiness, joy and contentment. So that's our first set of questions, that question of contentment in my heart. But the second set is about generosity. Paul calls us to be generous because we have a generous God. God has given everything for us. And so the other questions for us must be, how does God want me to be generous? How does God want me to invest in the kingdom of God? Like the Philippians, it might be financially, but it might be in other ways. It might be your time. Maybe God is calling you to spend time with him and deepen your relationship with him at the moment, to invest in that way. Maybe it's your maturity of faith. Maybe God is calling you to give some of that maturity of your faith to other believers who are younger in their faith. And God may challenge us to step, to be inside, but also to step outside our comfort zones. And I remember once being asked what made my, what made my heart sing in terms of what I do. And I know it's easy to be generous in that area of my life, but sometimes God calls me to be generous in other areas of my life too. So John's going to come and lead us in worship again in a minute. But just before he does, I just want us to look at the last verse in this letter. Verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The letter ends as it began, with grace, with that amazing and undeserved love and friendship of God through us, through Jesus Christ. Or as I learnt it, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. And throughout the whole of this letter, Paul has continually directed everything back to Jesus. If you think back to that beautiful hymn in, verse, in chapter 2, when Paul reminded us that Christ gave everything for us and challenges to give up our lives to him, just as Jesus does, he challenges us to love God with all of our being and to love others as ourselves with servant hearts. So I think with Philippians, 
This is Paul's challenge to us and answers those unanswerable questions of life. Why is worth living life? Why is life worth living? What is life for? Who am I? What is my identity? And what is the secret of real joy and contentment? And Paul tells us the answer again and again is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this beautiful gift of the letter of Philippians to us. Thank you for the challenge of what it means to have joy in suffering. The challenge of being content in every circumstance. The challenge of having generous hearts. But Father, particularly the challenge of living life with you at the center and living life reflecting you and the servant heart that you have of loving God with all of us, all of our being, and loving each other. So Father, we want to worship you. We want to thank you today. And I pray that we would walk out of here challenged, but also encouraged, Lord God, by what you have done for us in Jesus, that amazing, undeserved grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.